Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen and amen. How are we doing today? So good, so good. So I was back there praying before we get started. For, first of all, for those of you that are new, I'm Pastor Joey. I just want to say welcome. We believe everyone matters to God. And so our prayer, and we have been praying for you, that you encountered the presence of the Lord and you feel his presence today, that you feel loved and uh, just adored by the King of Kings. I believe that the people of God are, are God, the apple of God's eye. He is seeking each and every one of us out and he wants us to know how much he loves us, which is why he sent Jesus. And so uh, we pray that you encounter his love today, that you leave a little differently today than the way you walked in. And, uh, and so I'm just so glad and happy that you're here. And uh, we'll have some fun things planned uh, for after church. It's our eighth birthday. Scott, you didn't announce our birthday. So Vertical Life Church has been around for eight official years. We celebrate today, so we've got some birthday cake and stuff uh, to celebrate. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, before we get into the word today, I just was back there praying, and I just saw in my heart, my mind, I just it, does anybody here, do you have somebody here like dealing with pain from like a steel rod, either in your leg or in your back or anything like that? I just got a, where are we at? Carol? Okay, um. For those of you that are uh, called VLC home, could you surround Carol and put your hand on Carol? Um, Scott, we'll get you over there. Aaron, could you touch Carol's, uh, is it your back? Your hip? Okay. And, it, and it's hurting right now? Okay, I just got it in my heart. We're just going to pray for you that God touches you. And I just believe that God's going to heal you right now. That'd be pretty awesome. Amen? Amen. So we're just going to extend a prayer to you. Lord God, I thank you in Jesus' name. Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, you healed while you were here to show the world who you are, to show the heart of the Father, and we believe that you heal again today. And I believe that you put that on my heart uh, for a reason, that you see Carol, you know her pain, and it's not your will that her to deal with that anymore. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we command that rod to bend, steel to bend. God, that all pain would go right now in Jesus' name, that she would not deal with that anymore. Lord, and that she'd have another testimony to be able to share about the goodness of the Lord. So, God, we just rejoice together. We command all pain to go in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we are culminating our series on Jesus today. This is week seven. So we've been the last seven weeks talking about why Jesus is and will forever be the most influential, the most important person in all of human history. And so uh, it's been kind of an exciting journey, and so I'm excited to get into this today. Uh, but first, anyone who knows me, I mean, if, especially if you're new today, I want to uh, introduce myself a little bit. Anyone who knows me knows that I get really excited about things that I get into. Like when I'm into something new, I'm like a little kid. I get real excited about it. And sometimes I, I drift back to things I used to be excited about and get re-excited. Anybody like that? Like you're like, oh, I remember I used to like this a lot, right? Well, recently I've kind of I'm kind of a nerd at heart. I, I like like archaeology and history and stuff like that. And recently I've kind of gotten back into the Greek culture, the Greek civilization. The Greeks have made such a huge, profound impact in our world. First of all, 
the Greek language gave us the New Testament. That's pretty exciting, right? The, the Bible we read, when you open to the New Testament, it was originally written in Greek. That's pretty awesome. But the Greek chefs gave us gyros, and that really makes me excited. I don't know what it is about that gyro meat, but it makes my heart skip a beat a little bit. I just get, I just get really excited with gyros. And I mean, if you're comparing apples and oranges, I think the New Testament wins. But, you know, gyros is a close second. That's what I would say, at least right now. Uh, in ancient times, in ancient Israel, the Jews uh, used to uh, eat certain meats, avoid certain meats. Gyros, is not, they're not made from the typical meat we would use, like pork, chicken, or beef. They use a separate kind of meat. In ancient Israel, they used to um, avoid pork. But there is one kind of pork that they were allowed to eat. Does anybody know what kind of pork the Israelites were allowed to eat? Abraham. I just want to make sure you're still awake. I had a vegetable joke, but it was a little corny. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. If you, if you got your worship guide, you can turn on the back. You can write some notes down. You're welcome. But uh, Euros have just been, like, just reignited for me. One of my favorite places to get these sandwiches, when we go up to um, Grand Haven, Michigan. Anybody like Grand Haven? Oh, man, it's so beautiful. The beaches are so beautiful. There's a place there called Mr. Kozak's. It's like this little hole-in-the-wall shack, and they serve some awesome Greek food. So anytime we're in Grand Haven, I got to stop, and I got to get me a gyro. And then uh, recently, my wife introduced me to a place called Petaway in Grand Blank. Anybody gone to Petaway? Yeah, they can throw down. They know how to do it. And, uh, but uh, even a little closer to home, which makes me happy, makes me smile, in Birch Run, there's this little restaurant place next to a gas station called Pita Pit. And you can get a pita in a pit. They're a pita pit. But even more so, they have these protein bowls. There's one called Ode to Athens. And it is the bomb diggity, I'm telling you. Like, you just pile it on, and you walk out of there, and I'm so full and so satisfied and so happy. It's, it's amazing. But the, the pita, the, the gyro, it's made from not a typical meat. It's made from lamb meat. It's made out of lamb. I don't know what they do to those things, but it, it now has ruined any time I go to a petting zoo. Because when I see those little furry, cuddly things, I'm thinking breakfast, lunch, dinner. And you know the really loud and annoying ones? Yeah, those are leftovers right there. <laughs> leftovers. Yeah, I love holidays. We get together and we eat and we have these big family meals. We had ours yesterday. But uh, I don't know what's more exciting, sitting down to the meal or having the leftovers, right? Because you're like, oh, yes, there's still some of that. There's still some of that. It's all awesome. Um, but uh, lamb, it's a special kind of meat. I don't know what they do, but it's so delicious. So I'm going to start a, peti a petition today, right now today. I hope you support it. We're going to change the Easter mascot from the bunny to the lamb. I don't even know why the bunny is a thing, right? No one's going to the restaurant ordering rabbit. I mean, we try to keep hair off of our plates, right? We, I don't know what the deal is. So we're going to start a petition. We're going to replace the bunny with the lamb. And so you'll get a picture with the bunny today at the, at the selfie station if you like. But next year, maybe we'll have a lamb running around here. So that's good. But all kidding aside, today we're talking about Jesus, our lamb. 
You think a euro tastes good. That's nothing compared to what Jesus has to offer. And over the course of this series, we're looking at Jesus, we see that Jesus is the most influential person in all of history. Jesus is our purpose. He restored our understanding of the meaning of life. He's our equalizer. He brought equality to the entire globe, to every nation, tribe, and tongue. He's our example, restoring our understanding of human relationships and how to coexist uh, in relationships together. He is our liberator. He demonstrated what true leadership is, true government, as he came to set people free, not put them in bondage and enslave them. He came to liberate us. He's our teacher. He's the inspiration for our public education and the continual force that drives us to explore his creation and to see all that he is. He's our muse. He's the inspiration behind the arts for centuries and centuries and will continue to inspire many to create songs and stories in all manner of creativity. And today we celebrate Jesus, our risen lamb. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh God, if what we experience today is even a glimpse of what we'll receive in heaven, God, I say, even so, Lord, come quickly. God, you are awesome. And we recognize you in this place. We worship you in this place, God. And I just pray for anyone that's here today that doesn't know you, that hasn't experienced your love and your heart, that hasn't received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that God, today would be the day. Today would be the day that they get their new life, that they discover new life, the, the second chance to become who you created us to be. So God, I pray that you would speak and that we would receive. God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe everything you have. And as we glorify Jesus, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would draw all of us to yourself. You have the floor. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to understand why Jesus is called the Lamb, because that's kind of weird, right? That we call somebody a lamb. You know, not really my idea of an animal mascot. If I was going to pick a spirit animal, it's not going to be a lamb, right? But to understand why Jesus is called the Lamb, I need to kind of do a quick overview of the, the history of the people of Israel with you for just a moment to help you understand why it's important that we understand Jesus is our Lamb. One of the most famous stories in all the Bible is the story of Noah and the ark as God floods the world because of the wickedness and sin. And he does it to cleanse the earth so that he can, through the family of Noah, restart humanity and give us a chance to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with God's goodness and God's glory. But it's not long after Noah and his family are on the earth, they begin to repopulate that mankind begins to drift away from God, the reason why the flood came in the beginning. And so they began to rather worship the Lord. They began to rebel against God, forming cities, towns, and villages, coming together to build a name for themselves. Rather than worshiping the name that's above all names, they wanted to worship their own name, to make themselves a great name. They made the, up their own gods, and God turned them over to the worship of those gods further leading mankind into greater wickedness and sin. And mankind, they, they seemed doomed again, headed for judgment, headed for uh, the same fate that, that God had unleashed in the flood, except God calls out another man. He calls out a man named Abraham. You're never going to forget that name, especially when you're sawing into your ham today. You're, Abraham, 
he calls out Abraham, who's like 90 years old. He's an old dude. And his wife is just as old. But he calls them out and he tells him, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to build a nation out of you and your wife. And together, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by you. But again, there was only one problem. Abraham and Sarah didn't have any kids. And they were old. They were really old. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans tells us when God tells them they're going to have kids and they're going to be this great nation, Abraham's response to God is, me and my wife's womb are as good as dead. But nonetheless, God, whatever, whatever you got to do, I don't know how this is going to happen, but, you know, you just think you can do it, go ahead. You know, he believes God. And what does God do? He gives him a son in his old age. A miraculous birth. And he gives birth to this boy named Isaac. And on begins the formation of what one day will become the nation of Israel. And Abraham is overjoyed. But then one day God makes a strange request of Abraham. You see, Abraham, when he was following the Lord, he left the place of his father, which was a pagan place. They worshipped other gods. They were just like the rest of the world when God called them. So now years have gone by. He's given birth to this son. The son's a little older, enough to, to interact, and they've had time to build a relationship. And God comes to Abraham one day and says, Abraham, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him as an offering to me. Now what's unusual about this is that God had never asked Abraham to sacrifice a human sacrifice. That's what the other gods did. The other gods required men and women to sacrifice their own children, to throw them into the fire, to shed human blood. Abraham was used to animal sacrifices, but this is the first time God, Yahweh God, said, I want you to offer a human sacrifice. And Abraham was deeply disturbed by this because this was his only son that he loved so very much. But God didn't really want Abraham to sacrifice his son. God was testing Abraham's faith. You see, mankind had made gods out of all sorts of stuff. They were worshiping the sun, the moon, the rivers, the land. They were worshiping everything. They were allowing anything and everything to take their hearts away from Almighty God and to worship other things. They were pursuing other things. And so Abraham was being tested by God because God wanted to know, Abraham, do you worship me because what I can do for you do you worship me because I've given you a son and you can get stuff from me? Or do you worship me because you actually just love me and trust me? And so Abraham's given this task. And lo and behold, Abraham begins to follow through with what God said. Takes his son up to Mount Moriah and begins to prepare an offering. And just before Abraham takes his own son's life in honor for God, God stops him, interrupts him. And in Genesis chapter 22, verses 12 through 14, here's what the scripture says. God tells Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram. Somebody say a ram. He saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And so he took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of, somebody say in place of, in place of his son. 
Abraham named that place on the mountain where he was Yahweh Yireh, or others pronounce it Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So rather than making Abraham follow through with this difficult task, by making Isaac shed his own blood as an offering sacrifice to the Lord, God provides a ram, a male lamb, on this mountain called Moriah. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. What will God provide? He will provide a sacrifice to substitute Isaac's life, to substitute Isaac's place. So rather than bring a curse upon this family, the sacrifice that is substituted for Isaac brings a blessing to the house of Abraham. And because of Abraham's faith, God promises that now through Abraham, through the line of Isaac, every nation on the earth is going to be blessed. They're going to be blessed. Fast forward, and Israel now has been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And God hears the cries of the people, the heavy burdens that Egyptians are putting on them, treating them harshly as slaves. And so God raises up a man named Moses to oppose Pharaoh and to lead God's people out of Egypt, out of bondage, and into the promised land, into the blessings of the Lord, where God will dwell with his people forever and ever. And so what does God do? God begins to rain down plagues against Egypt to go toe-to-toe with the gods of Egypt, even Pharaoh himself. And God rains down these plagues to win the freedom of his people. He even wages war at the prideful heart of the Pharaoh who was refusing to let his people go and ultimately wins the freedom of God's people. And how did he do it? After all the plagues had come through, the last plague to fall was the most severe of all, and it was the plague of death. God said there's going to be an angel that comes through. There's going to be a spirit that comes through, and it's going to kill the firstborn of every family, not just humanity, but also your animals, your livestock. The firstborn is going to be slaughtered. But if you want to avoid this curse coming upon the nation of Israel, if God's holy people want to be spared, God commands them to take a male lamb, to sacrifice the lamb, to paint the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes, and then to eat the lamb in a a ritualistic meal and to eat it in haste. They had to eat it very quickly. So in essence, by ingesting the lamb, they become one with the lamb, and as that lamb takes their place and its blood covers their household. And when the angel of death comes through, the firstborn of every Egyptian family dies. The cattle, the, the animals die, except the nation of Israel is spared. And this is where the, the celebration of Passover comes from. Because God passed over the nation of Israel because the blood of the lamb covered their homes. The blood of the lamb takes the place of the firstborn sons of Israel. The lamb is sacrificed, and they're able to live. And they walk free through a corporate baptism through the Red Sea as the Spirit of God, the presence of the Lord, leads them on to the blessing. Again, if we fast forward years and centuries later, Israel now is in a whirlwind cycle of rebellion and repentance. They're in the land. God is with them. They have the temple. Miracles happen. They have the prophets. But years go by, and their hearts drift away. 
and they turn away from the Lord. And so God has to bring in discipline and say, no, you're breaking your covenant. I told you, if you follow what I say, you will be blessed. You'll be blessed beyond any nation of the earth. And they were for a time. King Solomon is said to be the richest king to have ever lived. But they began to drift. They began to worship other gods, and God brought in discipline. Nations would come in and attack them, and then they would repent, and God would deliver them and restore them. And then another king would come in and lead them into sin and rebellion, and they would be disciplined again, and on and on and on it went. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, verse 6, talking about the hearts of the people of Israel, he says, all of us like sheep, somebody say sheep, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We left God's paths to follow our own. And this is what they were doing. They had the law. They had the promises of God. They had the word of God. They had every promise God had made. He had seen him work wonders, work miracles. They had all the stories that you could tell. But yet they continued to go their own way like lost sheep. You see, sheep have a tendency to stray from the flock. And the nation of Israel, no matter how many times they were brought back and they recommitted themselves, it was only a matter of time before they would stray again. You see, they couldn't do it. They couldn't be righteous on their own. They couldn't keep the law. The law had 600 commandments to it. 600. And no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't follow all of the laws. They just kept failing again and again. And so they actually invented something else. They invented the oral law, which added an additional wealth of laws in order to keep them from breaking the 600 commandments. The burden on the people, this religious rules and regulations on the people was more than they could bear, and they couldn't follow it. They couldn't become righteous on their own. And beloved, I'm here to tell you today, neither can we. Neither can we. Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 10 he says, as the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. I know when we think about ourselves, we like to think that we're pretty good people. I've never met a person on the street, if I ask them, do you think you're a good person? I've never met somebody say, no, no, I'm not very good. No, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty good. But the scripture says no one is righteous, not even one. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all have a little darkness in our heart. Jesus said there is no one good but God. So compared to God, none of us are good. In Romans 3.23, that darkness has a name. It says we've all sinned. Somebody say sinned. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. The word sin simply means to miss the mark. To not make the standard, to not get to the place where we arrive. What is the mark? The glory of God, the perfection of God, the righteousness of God, the, the holiness of God. That is the standard. And when you look at your life, when I look at my life, what do I see? I miss the mark every day, all the time. I miss the mark. You know, it's human nature to compare spiritual pedigrees, to size each other up. This is why Jesus in Matthew 7 says, don't judge. Don't judge because you're going to be judged. Like, get the plank out of your eye before you pick apart the speck in somebody else's eye. Have you ever, like, thought about if that was real life, like if that was actually happening? Someone's like, 
dude, you see that dude? Man, that dude's jacked up, man. He's like messed up. He's got this big log hanging out of his eye, you know. It's kind of funny. Jesus had a sense of humor. He was more joyous than anyone. But he says not to judge. Why? Because you are ignorant of your own mistakes while you're focusing on somebody else's. It's human nature to compare one to another, especially if someone's a bigger sinner than we are, and it makes us feel pretty good about ourselves. It makes us feel a little self-righteous, which comes from pride, which is the root of all sin. We can't escape it, we can't avoid it, and we all wrestle with it. James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter to the church, he writes, if you've broken one of God's commandments, you're just as guilty as someone who has broken them all. One of the most famous parables of Jesus is the parable of the yeast. It says just a little bit of yeast will spoil the whole batch of dough. Anybody in here make homemade bread? You make homemade bread? You know, you don't need a lot of yeast to make it rise. You just dab a little bit on there, and it will expand. It'll expand beyond what you can possibly think. And so what's Jesus saying? He's just saying sin is the same way. You only need to break one of God's commands once in your life, and it's enough to infect you for all eternity. Just a little bit. There's none righteous. No, not one. And because we've all sinned, Paul in Romans 6, 23 he says the wages of sin, what you earn, the consequences of sin, the results of sin. Like if you work a job, you put in your 40 hours a week, what you get at the end of the week on Friday, if you've got direct deposit and there's not a holiday or a snowstorm, you get your wages, you get your paycheck. Well, Paul is telling us here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that what we earn because of sin is what? It's death. It's separation from God, both spiritually and in eternity. In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam, he said, if you disobey, you're going to unleash death into the world. You will bring sin into the world, you'll unleash death, and that's exactly what happened. Because of one man's sin and him being the father of us all, we now are born into this world with a nature that rebels against God. He brought death upon us all. And death is God's judgment on sin. And I know many people will say, well, Pastor Joey, it's not loving for God to judge people. It's not loving for God to judge sinners. I mean, if God, it's not loving for God to send people to hell. How could a loving God send people into judgment? And, and I would say it's actually very loving. For God to judge. Think about this world and all the chaos in it. There's a war happening in Ukraine and Russia right now. And the reports coming out of this is that there are some terrible, terrible, terrible things happening. Would it be loving for the world to just stand by and let Russia do that unopposed? Just give them the green stamp say, yeah, go ahead and go slaughter thousands and thousands of people. Go ahead and do that. No big deal. Would it be loving for President Zelensky of Ukraine just to watch his people get condemned in cold blood? Be like, oh, it's okay. No big deal. Or is it more loving to stand up against tyranny, to stand up against evil, 
to fight back, to make people pay for their crimes. I mean, right now in Chicago, according to the Chicago Tribune, 797 people were slain in 2021. Nearly 1,000 people died. And nearly 1,000 people die every year from homicide in the city of Chicago. 20 in uh, 2021, 797 people were killed. That's 25 more than in 2020. As of April 5th, 2022, there have been 133 homicides in Chicago this year, four more than last year at the same time. So we're on track for more homicides this year than last year in that great city. Is it loving to the victims of the families or even the victims themselves to just let this continue? Or would it be more loving, would it be more just, more right of the people of that city and its leaders to enact policies and protocols that make people face justice for the crimes that they commit? To try to stop this evil trend. To do what's necessary to protect people from danger and harm. What's more loving? It's not just to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not happening. It's to stand against it. Something more personal. If somebody says something to you that's hurtful or does something to you that's hurtful, do you just ignore it? Do you just like, oh, no big deal. It's hurtful, right? It stings. And what do you want more than anything? You want them to admit that they were wrong and at least, at minimum, apologize. To say they're sorry. To, to try to make it right. We don't just ignore these things. And, and, and even if somebody does something to you and, and you have a negative outlook on yourself and you say, well, I deserved it. In order for you to deserve something, there must be a measure of justice to determine that you deserved that action. There's something that has to determine whether or not you deserved it or not. Or else it's not just. Or else you didn't deserve it. Because justice is the only thing that can make it right again in order to settle the score, to atone for sin that's committed against one another, we must enact justice to right what is wronged. And God is no different. We actually don't just want justice. We demand justice. We demand it. We don't reconcile relationships unless people own up to what they've done. And it's no different with God. We are made in His image. We bear His name. We get our sense of justice from Him, this desire for justice. And though we can twist it with our pride in our sinful nature to some regard, God is sinless. He is love. He is peace. He is life. He is truth. He is pure. He is holy. And when anything violates His nature, His character, or His will, His word, or His divine law, who violates who he is, he must see justice through. He must. Because it's the only right thing to do. And I'm so glad he's the only one perfect enough to do it perfectly. Sin must be atoned for. There must be a payment for sin. And it just so happens there is sin lurking in all of our hearts. Every human being there is none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned. We all miss the mark. We all stand guilty before this just and holy God. And God will judge sin. Jesus, in John chapter 3, verse 19, he says, And the judgment that God's going to give is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, 
But the people loved darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see that what they're doing is what God wants. All who do evil run from the light. They rebel from the light. They turn away from God. How do we run? We run from God to do what we want to do, to live our own way, to go our own way, to believe our own thing, to be God of our own life or worship other gods, to obsess about other things in our lives and put it above God. And we turn all sorts of things into God. We devote ourselves to all sorts of things and we invest our our faith and our hope in other things, believing that maybe they'll help us overcome the struggles in our lives rather than going to the only one who has the power to do it. And the more we run from God, the more sin we accumulate that requires justice to be poured out on our lives. For the wages of sin is death. But beloved, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of Christ is not a sad story. It's good news. It's good news. Why? Because that verse doesn't end there. The rest of Romans 6.23 says, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin brought death, but through Christ there is life. God isn't just righteous and holy. He's also merciful, gracious, and kind, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. In John 3, Jesus said, God sent the light. And who is the light? It is Jesus Christ. God sent the light into the world. Jesus is the light that leads to life. He's the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the enemy, he's likened to be like a thief who came to do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is going to lie to you. He's going to twist the truth. He's going to lead you all manner of direction, get your life confused, get your life busy so that you ignore God in your life to do nothing but make it dysfunctional and destructive. But Jesus wants to bring life and life overflowing, life more abundantly. He came to release us from sin, and the way he does it is by bringing about new birth. We were born into sin through Adam, but in Christ we can be born into new life. It's a new birth where we go from the kingdom of darkness ruled by sin to the kingdom of life ruled by God Almighty. And this is the very conversation Jesus has in John 3 with another religious leader, a teacher of religious law in the days of Israel. A guy probably had the first five books of the Bible memorized, could quote it from heart, knew all the laws, knew all the regulations, even the additional ones in the oral law, but yet he couldn't understand what Jesus was saying because his mind and his, his idea of what God wanted was in a completely different direction. But in John 3, Jesus tells him, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? But Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly, not physical life, but he came to resurrect the dead spirit in you, what died when sin entered into the world, when entered into your life. The Holy Spirit of God brings about new life 
a new sinless and eternal life as it reconnects you to the Father you were disconnected from because of sin. He restores the reason why you were created, to be in God's family, to know God and be loved by Him as you respond to Him in love. And the question is, how did Jesus do it? How did He make it possible for us to be born again? Well, on the day before Jesus begins his ministry, he goes down to the Jordan River. And it's often been a peculiar passage to me because it's, it's kind of weird. Here you have Jesus, who's supposed to have no sin, and his cousin John the Baptist is baptizing sinners to repentance. And Jesus goes down to the Jordan River to be baptized. And I'm like, well, if he doesn't have any sin, why is he getting baptized? Because there's nothing to repent of, right? He's, he's sinless. But Jesus goes down and gets baptized. What's interesting here is that Jesus had to be baptized, not because he had sin to atone for, but in the Old Testament, they prophesied the Messiah, the one who would come and save us from our sins. The Messiah really had two qualifications. He had to be a son of King David, so he had to be a rightful heir to the throne, and then he also had to be a priest but not after the Levitical priesthood, which the nation of Israel had as one of their 12 tribes. He had to be a priest after another guy called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a king and priest in the time of Abraham. He blessed Abraham as God is blessing him to be the blessing of the nations. Melchizedek blesses Abraham and, and has his interaction with the founding of the nation of Israel. And so God says, the Messiah is going to be a priest, but he's not going to be a normal priest. He's going to be like that kingly priest, because Melchizedek was the king of Israel before it was Israel in the city of Jerusalem, and he was also a priest of God Most High. So Messiah had to be both king and priest. Now in the law of Moses, before a priest could fulfill its duties, he was already an heir to the throne as a son of David. But before a priest could fulfill its duties, he had to be ordained. And in the ordination ceremony, before he could enter the temple and offer sacrifices and act as a priest, first there had to be a sacrifice. Blood had to be shed and applied to the priest. Then he had to be baptized in water. And then he had to be anointed with oil. And what we see here at the moment of the Lord's baptism is that the heavens open and God speaks and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, God says, y'all been waiting? Here he is. Here's my son. Here's the one you've been waiting for. And so he's baptized, and then what do you see? In all the pictures of his baptism, you see the dove flowing out of heaven. The Holy Spirit comes and rests on him. All throughout the scripture, oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So here in one moment, you have a baptism, and you have the spirit or the oil being applied to Jesus and the pronouncement, this is my son. This wasn't Jesus being baptized for sin. This was his ordination ceremony. Now, he has been ordained to be our high priest. The priest after the order of Melchizedek. And as soon as he's baptized and the heavens are opened, John, his cousin who baptizes him, says something interesting in John 1, 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John pronounces him the Lamb of God. So not only is Jesus king, not only is he priest, but he's also the Lamb. 
He's also the lamb. What does this mean? It means he did not come to offer animal sacrifices like the Jewish priests did day after day, year after year, which covered their sin for just another year. Jesus came to offer a bigger and better sacrifice, a sacrifice that would be greater. Jesus came to do what only he could do. What God, what God kept Abraham from doing, sacrificing his own son, God decided to do himself. If you think about Abraham about to offer his son on the mountain, God says, no, you, you can't do that. God decides to do it himself by sending his own son into the world to redeem the world. Jesus came into the world not to offer an animal sacrifice, but to offer himself as the sacrifice, himself as the lamb to cleanse the sin of the world. Why wasn't the blood applied at his ordination? Because it was applied on the cross as he's ordained and anointed by his own blood. You see, Isaac had a lamb substitution. The Israelites in Egypt had a lamb substitution. But Jesus became the lamb to be our substitution, to take our place. In Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He just was despised and we did not care. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for our own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so we could be whole, whipped so we could be healed, praise God. All of us like sheep, somebody say like sheep. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Our sin was put on Christ. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth, unjustly condemned, he was led away. Beloved, all of us have sinned. We all deserve judgment. We're all guilty and worthy of death, but yet all of us had our crimes put on Christ, and he paid the price for us. In Hebrews 9, 12, it says, with his own blood... Not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all and secured your redemption forever. Which means once you're saved, you ain't being unsaved. It's forever. It is redeemed. It is for all time. There is not another sacrifice that needs to be offered. He was sufficient. He was complete. He was whole. He did what we could not do. And what is a question in my heart said, why would Jesus do that? Beaten worse than any human being. Scourged and crucified, knowing it was going to happen when he came. He came to die. Why would he do that? Why would he go through all of that just so we could have a relationship with him? Well, beloved, he tells us in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. You can take out that word love and put your name right there. For God so loved Joey. For God so loved Chris. For God so loved Annette. For God so loved that he gave his only son, 
And whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God knew you couldn't make yourself worthy. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the strength to heal yourself. You can't become righteous on your own. Every step forward you take, you take two steps back. Can I get an amen on that one? Anybody else living a real life? But beloved, he loves you more than you can imagine. And so he did what you couldn't do. He paid it all. He paid your fine. And not just for what's in the past, but what's in the now. And also what is to come. Scripture says Jesus went outside of time to the end of the age and offered his sacrifice. That means everything you'll ever do over the course of your life is already under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's already under the blood. Everything you will ever do is already past tense for God. Because Jesus is the atonement. He is the pure sacrifice. His blood washes you white as snow. And he gave his life so you could be forgiven. Now, just as Jesus said, in order to receive this forgiveness, to, to enter God's kingdom, to have a relationship with God, he said, you must be born again. You must be uh, brought to new life if you want this relationship with God. And to have your slate clean, to, to reconnect with your heavenly Father, to enter this new life that he has, there's really only two decisions, and it's the most easy decisions we can make. Jesus did all the hard work. I'm so thankful that he went through all of that. And he offers us this opportunity to enter into relationship, to discover why we were created, to experience the unfailing, never-ending love of God. And he asks us to do two things. There are two decisions we have to make. The first is found in Acts 3, 19 through 20. It says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And the times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he'll send again to you, Jesus, your appointed Messiah. The first the decision we have to make is we have to make the decision to repent of our sins. That word repent just means that you recognize that you are a sinner. There's stuff in your life that is in rebellion against God. There's stuff that you've done. You've made mistakes. You've had failures. There are things that have led you away from the heart of God. Again, Jesus tells us a parable about a shepherd who lost his sheep. And we're all like sheep. And the sheep had strayed away. And the, so the shepherd left the 99 to go find the one. Jesus came to find you, to seek you out. You, personally. That's why you're here today, beloved. There's a reason why you walked in the door. Jesus is seeking you out. He wants a relationship with you. But before the lamb can be reconnected to the shepherd, John 10, 37 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. The first thing you have to do is you have to respond to the voice of the shepherd. Repentance is simply responding to his voice and choosing to stop heading in the direction you're going and turning around and going towards the way of the shepherd. That's all repentance is. It means to change direction. So here in my life, I'm going this way. I'm living for myself. I got my own plans, my own desires. I, I have no care for God. I don't care what his will is. I don't care what's going on in, in the word of God. I don't care what's happening in the church. I'm my own God of my own life. And he says, if you want to be born again, the first thing you have to do is say, no, God, I'm not God. You're God. And I need you. And I'm sorry for what I've done and how I've been living. And now I'm responding to you. 
And the second thing he says in Romans 10, 9 through 11, he says, if you openly declare Jesus is your Lord and believe, somebody say believe. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. You'll be saved. You'll be healed. You'll be delivered of your sins. For it is by believing in your heart you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So what I'm doing is I'm not just choosing to change my behavior. If all we do is change our behavior, that's religion, and it goes nowhere. But we choose to follow Christ, and then we give God the only thing he really wants is our heart. We choose today, God, I'm going to give you my heart. Jesus, I'm going to give you my heart. And I'm going to believe in what the Bible says. I'm going to believe, Jesus, you're the Savior, that you died and that you rose again. All you have to do is believe. It's believe. It's that simple. I'm going to believe it. And not just believe it, but I'm going to tell people that I believe it. That Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. Why? Because he died for my sin, and he rose again, and now he's in heaven reigning with the Father. He's Lord Almighty. He's my Savior. And if he's truly our Lord, and we believe in him, and we know him, we won't be ashamed. Why? Because of what Paul just said. You won't be disgraced. It's not a shameful thing to boast of the Lord. And beloved, if you make these two decisions to stop going your own way and to begin pursuing God and to believe in your heart and confess Him as Lord, the Bible says you'll become a new creation. You'll be born again. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new has begun. How many of you here have ever needed a cosmic do-over in their life at one point or another? Jesus is the king of do-overs. You live your life one way, you make a mess of it, and you give him your heart. Guess what? All that's past, and now all things are new. He doesn't hang your past over your head and be like, well, you used to be like this. No, it's forgiven. It's clean. There's no more record of your wrongs. It's a complete new life. Psalm 103, verse 10 says, He doesn't punish us for all of our sins or deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. When Jesus takes your sin, it's gone. There is no more sin. There, there's no more judgment. There's no more shame. There's no more condemnation. God's not going to bring up your sin again. Why? Because the blood of Jesus, his precious blood has wiped away your slate. It is clean before the throne of heaven. And when God looks at you, the amazing thing about Christ is when God looks at you and we would look at ourselves in the mirror and see how dirty we are and how many mistakes we are and what's not right and all the stuff in our past. But when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He sees your present and your future, which means he sees the glory of the Son of God resting on you. Jesus takes our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. And we're glorious and holy before God. And because there's no sin on your account, Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No 
condemnation, no judgment, no fear of death. Why? Because we've encountered His perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. Do you see how gracious and kind God is with us? How He could have given us judgment. But instead, He gave us a lamb so that it could take our place and we could have life in Him. Aren't you glad that Jesus is our lamb? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment as we go into a time of response. Maybe you're here today. And you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You've heard stories. You've maybe seen a few movies. Maybe you went as a child and haven't been back in a while. Or maybe this has never been a part of your life. But I know something true in this moment. I know the presence of God is here. I know the Spirit is leading. The Spirit is moving. And I know that God is speaking to your heart because there is an ache there. There is a pulse there. There is an, there's an inclination there that says you need to give Jesus your heart and life. I need to be saved. I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. There's something in you right now that's, that's telling you that. You can't explain it. You just know it. You just know it. You just feel it. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now to make the most important decision you'll ever make. And that's giving Jesus your heart and your life. And the Bible says in that moment, you'll be born again. And I know you'll feel differently. The weight's going to come off. You're going to begin to experience joy and peace. And what's also amazing is the Word of God says when anyone chooses Christ, God Himself throws a party in heaven. He rejoices with the angels. And we as the church, this is why we exist, we'll rejoice with you. So if you're here today and you know you're the one, you need to receive Jesus as your Savior right now where you are. I'm going to encourage you to do what Paul said. Choose right now to believe and then confess Him as Lord by praying with me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you pray it as if God is standing before you with all the faith and all the belief you can muster in this moment. You just pray it to God. And I believe right now God's going to touch you right where you are. Right where you are. So if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed. Right now you pray, Father in heaven, thank you for loving me and sending Jesus into the world to be my lamb. Father, forgive me of all my sins, everything I've ever done or will ever do. I'm trusting in the sacrifice of Christ, in His death and His glorious resurrection. And today, I'm giving you the one thing you truly desire. I'm giving you my heart and my life. Today, Jesus is Lord, now and forever. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I would just, if you prayed that prayer today, you received Jesus as your Savior. I would just like to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to pray a blessing on you today. If you prayed that for the first time and you invited Christ into your life, would you just slip your right hand up and say, Pastor Joey, I prayed today. Pastor Joey, I prayed. Thank you. 
Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Father, you see the hands. You know the hearts. And right now, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just flood them in Jesus' name. Fill them from the top of the head to the bottom of their feet, God. We thank you that you promised Jesus to take our heavy loads. So I pray every chain be broken, every weight, every burden be broken. Right now, God, as you begin to introduce them to your son, reconnect them to who they are as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I just praise you, Lord Jesus, for the new life. God, we worship you today, and we celebrate with you these that raise their hands. And we praise you, God, for what you're going to continue to do with us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand for one more song as Tony leads us. If you made that decision, I want to encourage you to come down to the front. Our prayer team is going to be down here. We have a gift for you, and we just want to celebrate with you. So if that's you, I invite you to come down right where you are. If God is speaking to your heart, if you are a child of God, if you've accepted Jesus, you know you're going to go to heaven one day. You know you have a relationship with God, but you've been running from him. You, you've been running. There's been some stuff in your life that has gotten in the way of your relationship, and you know you need to recommit yourself to the Lord. What better way to celebrate Easter than to give your heart again to Jesus? I encourage you to come and uh, meet one of our prayer team members down here and let us pray with you. And let's just see what God's going to do. Amen. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.